0: Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless you. The reading and the hearing of His Word. Hello again, and welcome back to The Forge. Today we pick it up in Genesis 33, and I would point out to you that this chapter actually is a continuation from the previous chapter without interruption. As a reminder, the chapter and verse, the distinctions, the divisions that we make in our Bible today were inserted there for our easy reference. So that if I give you something like chapter 33 verse one, you know where I'm talking about. So try to think of chapter 33 here as the same record of events and people as we looked at in the previous episode in the previous chapter. What am I saying? I'm saying chapter 33 is a continuation of chapter 32. And in this episode, I'm going to give you a summary first of what we are about to read. And this is something that I do from time to time. It's not the usual way that I do a Bible study, but sometimes it's good to do this because it gets us mentally prepared. So be on the lookout for these events as we read through the chapter. So the first thing we'll notice when we get into the actual reading of the scripture, Genesis 33, we'll notice that Jacob will see Esau coming out to meet him. And Jacob in response to this arranges his family so that the servant wives and their children are in front and Leah and her children are to follow And then the final grouping is Joseph with his mother, Rachel. So when we get to this part of the chapter, ask yourself why this particular order was chosen by Jacob. Do you think there is some sort of favoritism being shown here? Uh, Ask yourself, what impact do you think that this would have upon a family? Do you think that they see anything special about the way that they are being arranged? And what do you think this communicates to Esau? And after this parade of family members, uh, Jacob, you know, after he arranges it this way, Jacob comes out and he bows down seven times, uh, as he goes out to meet Esau and all of this is going to happen within the first three verses. So I want you to be watching for it. And what a surprise it must've been to see that Esau actually gets emotional as we will read. And he embraces Jacob rather than launching an attack on Jacob. And after this embrace, Jacob's family members, come forward to meet their uncle Esau or their brother-in-law as the case may be. And they do this in the order that Jacob had arranged them. So when Esau asks about the herds that um, he has seen, Jacob says that he sent them. Why did Jacob send them? That's a good question to be pondering as we read through this. And we know from the last episode that Jacob wanted to win favor with Esau. So Esau at first is going to refuse to take the cattle and the gifts from Jacob, but Jacob urges him to take the gifts. So ask yourself, why do you suppose that Esau refused the gifts and only takes the gifts after Jacob insists on it? Jacob then explains that he's got to take a slow pace And he encourages Esau not to wait on him. And we are then going to see that Esau offers protection to Jacob. He says, look, I'll leave some men behind. But Jacob refuses Esau's offer of protection. So we see these brothers go their separate ways at this point. Esau goes to the region of Seir. And Jacob heads toward Sukkoth, finally arriving in Shechem. And when Jacob gets to Shechem, he buys land and he builds an altar to God. So by now, hopefully, you've had a chance to find Genesis 33. And hopefully, you will see these things as we read the word of God. And again, I would just remind you, If you've been listening to my episodes, I don't normally do it this way, but I've already given you a summary of what we are about to read. Sometimes it's good to do that because, as I said, it gets you mentally prepared and you can be watching for these things as we read them in the scripture. So Genesis chapter 33, let us read the word of the living God. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants, and he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please. If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand inasmuch as as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. So we urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us take our journey, let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Sierra And Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram and he pitched his tent before the city and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. It has been said And perhaps you've heard this saying before, that truth is stranger than fiction. In my humble opinion, that is what we see here. And I would go even further to say in the words of Arthur Pink, that certainly truth is more accurate than fiction. Why do I start off today's episode like this, talking about truth and fiction? Well, it's because the Bible is unlike any other book in the history of the world in that it openly exposes the flaws of men and women whom we would consider to be righteous, holy, heroes even of our great faith. Uninspired writers will build up the hero in their story or their myths, their fictional works. Everybody wants a Superman. They want a superhero. They want to see someone who is unbroken, undamaged, unblemished, unbeatable. But when the Holy Spirit is writing the book, this is not so. (laughs) He exposes the heart of Jacob for all the world to see. And while on the one hand, we see a great patriarch who was chosen for God's uses and God's purposes. On the other hand, we see a weak man who continues to operate in the flesh. So here we see a true record of what actually happened. This is not a fictitious story. One of the reasons that we can say that so confidently is because of, as I just pointed out, these heroes that we look at, we tend to think highly of them, or at least I do when I'm reading the scriptures. We should also remember that the Holy Spirit inspired writers to expose the truth, the whole truth, the full truth, And we see the motivations, we see the sinful heart, even of God's chosen. And this also points out to us that there's not anything you can do that will help you to win favor with God. There's not anything you can do that will somehow stack up good points for you as opposed to negative points or demerits. It's not like you have two buckets and one bucket is good and one bucket is bad. If you fill up your good bucket, then you find favor with God. No, my friends as Christians, we know that we bring nothing to our relationship with God except the sin that made our forgiveness necessary. That's all we bring. So we will remember from our last episode that Jacob had just wrestled with the one without a name and he obtained a blessing. And it's interesting here that we know that he asks who I believe is Jesus, who I believe is God in the flesh and the uh, pre incarnation, if you will showing up here wrestling with Jacob and Jacob asks, what is your name? And he says, why do you ask me my name? (laughs) So remember from that wrestling match that Jacob, the supplanter, the heel catcher has been renamed. And who was he renamed by? Well, he was renamed by the most holy God. And he was given the name Israel, which means To be governed by God. So we see this man moving from the supplanter, the one who supplants, the one who is the hill catcher, now moving to the one who is governed by God. And here we have it laid bare that Israel, as Jacob should now be called, indeed does not trust in God even after that encounter, but he yields to fear. And it's not just any kind of fear. It's a specific fear, a fear of his brother Esau. And for those familiar with the Bible, you will recall that there is a similar pattern throughout the biblical record. You will remember here in Genesis, we read of Abraham and he had faith in God. And by faith, he obeyed God. But even after he gets to Canaan, there's a famine in the land. And where did Abraham go? Do you remember? He went to Egypt. Elijah is another one. He faces the 400 priests of Baal at Mount Carmel. He personally sees the power of God. And the next thing he does is run from Jezebel for fear of his own life. And then we have King David who, as a boy, goes out to meet Goliath, and by the power of God, he slays Goliath, who is a giant, only later to run away from Saul. And we have the disciples of Christ in the New Testament. They are witnesses to the transfiguration. Yet the next day, these same men, the Bible tells us, they cannot cure a lunatic because of, why? Why? Do you remember because of their unbelief, according to the gospel of Luke and think of our unfolding saga here, Jacob dares to hold on to the divine wrestler as pink calls him in this previous chapter, but now he's bowing down seven times before Esau. So he had enough courage to hold on to the eternal son of God in a wrestling match and say, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And now here he faces a mere man, Esau, and he's bowing down and he calls Esau Lord and he calls himself a servant. And this brings out an interesting feature that we will see from now on until the end of the book of Genesis. When our patriarch here behaves in a manner after his flesh, the scripture will call him Jacob. But on the other hand, I want you to watch out for places where he is called Israel. And in those places where he's called Israel, you'll find that he's operating with full dependence upon God. And this does not happen in the biblical record here by accident. Uh, no, it it's communicating something to us about the nature of the heart of the man. So there's two verses of scripture as I was going through this that come to mind as we contemplate these things. The first, I would remind my audience that we did cover the book of James during our first season. So go back there and I want you to contemplate James chapter one, verses 23 through 25, James chapter one, verses 23 through 25. And this is what it says there. It says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And as we just noticed from the examples of Abraham, Elijah, David, and those favored disciples. And we see it here in Jacob, how easy it is to be an eyewitness to the very word of the living God, but then fail to live fully in its promises due to our own unbelief. So what are we to do then? It seems as though Our case is utterly hopeless. If these great men of the Bible can fail so miserably, then what can I expect out of myself? (laughs) Well, dear Christian, first of all, remember that these things uh, are here recorded in Scripture for our comfort. We should be reminded when we do fail, when we do things that we shouldn't do. While calling ourselves Christians, we should remember that, hey, look, we are in some good company. But remember this also, and this is the second verse that I wanted to share with you. It comes from John chapter 8, verse 26, and this is Jesus talking here, and he states in part, he says, I always do the things that please the Father. Here, Christ is talking about always doing the things which please the Father God. And this is great news for us, dear friends, dear Christians, because when I fall, and I can assure you that I will, (laughs) my hope is in the one who always does the will of the Father. Because We have been born into the second Adam, not the first Adam that we read about here in the beginning in Genesis, but we have been born into the second Adam. That is the man, Jesus, as the scripture says. It is his righteousness. It is his perfect record, which covers mine. And not only does it cover mine, It indeed completely does away with my record of failures and all of the record of my flesh. It is done away with because I have been born in Christ. Do you understand that, dear Christian? So just as Jacob does not live in the power of his new name, We have failed Christians at times to live in the power of our new name. What do you mean? What's our new name? I'm so glad you asked. You see, the Bible says that we are saints. We are sons. We are joint heirs with Christ. So may we live this way as we face the Esau or Esau's plural of our own life. You know, R.C. Sproul writes, and this is a quote, he says, Jacob greeted Esau as a vassal greets his patron in the ceremony of a royal court with a difference appropriate, appropriate to a superior. Note the sevenfold obeisance which is common practice in the ancient Near Eastern court protocol, the submissive address of a servant to his Lord and the presentation of gifts of homage. (laughs) In contrast, Esau greeted Jacob as one brother greets another after a long separation. We see that there was no need for Jacob's fear. Friends, do not doubt the power of the Holy Spirit to change a heart. He alone can take out the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And I would submit for your consideration that it was not the giving of gifts from Jacob to Esau that changed Esau's wrath to tenderness. No, this was a work of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 21.1 tells us the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. It was God who changed the heart of Esau as Jacob pleaded the promises of God. We should note Esau's initial refusal to accept the gifts from his younger brother. This, at least to me, shows that Jacob had no real need to plan, or as so many have stated concerning Jacob, scheme. Jacob is known as a schemer. Esau truly had no need for Jacob's gifts at this point. The fact that Esau appears on the scene with 400 of his own men speaks to his affluence and his independent prosperity. Although Esau certainly represents the flesh, he no doubt experienced the blessing of being one of Abraham's offspring just as God had taken care of Laban, (laughs) as far as the arrangement and the relationship and the business between Laban and Jacob, God now takes care of Esau as well. And how quickly Jacob seems to forget. You know, and I would just add, when I say that Esau had a benefit by being one of Abraham's offspring, There were blessings that come to Abraham's family, and truly it is based on God's covenant with Abraham. In fact, we read in places in scripture where God says, For your father Abraham's sake, I'm doing this. And what is God saying? He's saying, Well, I made a covenant with Abraham. And in many cases throughout the Um, Bible, you'll see where God remains true to a covenant because of his word to the previous generation or the previous generation, even before that, not based on anything that Esau did. So I do believe that Esau does see some prosperity and some affluence because he is genetically speaking an offspring of Abraham. So now I want to call your attention to verses 10 and 11. Jacob states in these verses, he says, No, please, if I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me, please take my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. So let me explain what is happening here. Jacob is not comparing the face of Esau to the face of God, but he is making a comparison about his experience. You see, at Peniel... In the previous chapter, Jacob wrestled with God, as I've already made reference to, another theophany, which was Christ before the Incarnation. And we discussed that in the previous episode as well as earlier in this episode. But make note of this and don't forget the weight of it. Jacob had looked into the face of God and his life was spared because God was full of grace toward Jacob. And Jacob now looks into the face of his older brother. And once again, his life is spared. Christians, we need to understand the gravity, the reality of Jesus being God. When they mocked him, when they hit him with their fist, When they spat upon him, when they pulled the beard from his face, when they drove the crown of thorns into his head, they were doing these things to the face of God. Think of God, the eternal son, emptying himself of his glory and coming to earth as the scripture tells us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think of it, friends. There is no other religious system in the world where their God or pantheon of gods or whatever it is that they worship condescends and comes to our level, takes on our form, bears our sin, so that he can open the door that all His chosen may come in. There's no other religion like that in the world, friends. And every false belief system there is It is the other way around their gods, their goddesses, whatever it is they believe in remains on the higher plane and man must work and strive and try and earn his way and achieve work for it, that they might find favor with their false God. So think of it, Jacob Who looked into the face of God. Now looks into the face of his older brother. And you know the scripture tells us that no one can see God and live. Why is that? Because of his glory. Because of his holiness. Because of his righteousness. And this is why Christ came. That someone like me. That someone like you. Someone like Jacob could look on the face of God and instead of being killed on the spot by the power of a holy righteous God we find life instead of death we find life These are powerful, powerful things to contemplate. And once again, we see God acting on behalf of Jacob, smearing his life, not just once, but twice. And so when Jacob says here, receive my present from my hand, and he says, take my blessing that is brought to you, He is communicating something here beyond the mere value of the gifts. The sense that we have in the Hebrew is that God has given all these things to include the blessing of children. And did you catch that? That children are a blessing. (laughs) He says all of this is because God has shown favor to me, Jacob. Not only that, Jacob is recalling the theft of the blessing, the paternal blessing that was to come from Isaac, which we covered in chapter 27. Jacob's not merely attempting to get on Esau's good side, but he is offering a form of restitution, while at the same time he's recognizing that he has enough due to God's favor. So we see the brothers are reconciled, and much like a covenant, it is sealed through the giving and the acceptance of gifts from Jacob to Esau. Next, we see Esau's proposal that they continue to make their journey together, and clearly this is not what Jacob wanted And we see here that there's still some evidence that Jacob is still not sure about the peace between the two of them. But what can be done? Jacob doesn't want to offend, but he wants to put some distance between himself and Esau just in case. And Esau appears to accept Jacob's need to take a slower pace but he offers his own men to travel as protectors. And Jacob refuses this even still. Now we should note here that Esau is not a stupid man. He might be a lot of things and he is clearly throughout this saga. He is a representation of the flesh and following the things of the flesh being ruled by his flesh but there can be no doubt that he senses the truth of the situation. Jacob is still distrustful of him, and Jacob also lies right here to his brother. And I've read commentaries, and I've heard people talk about this, and we don't really know if Jacob was being deceptive, and uh, perhaps he was going to meet up with Esau at a later time, and He just changed his mind and, you know, he took another turn and he went a different direction, but I would encourage you to find the maps of the region that we're talking about and make note of the location. Uh, Jacob tells Esau that they will meet in Seir, but when, uh, as soon as Esau um, takes off and starts moving, Jacob immediately starts heading towards Succoth. So it is my conviction, it's my belief that uh, indeed Jacob was not being totally straight with Esau in this matter. And if you go look it up, um, there's plenty of maps on the internet. If you've got a study Bible, often there are maps in the back of your Bible. You can look at them there. And these will give you an idea of where these brothers ended up and the distance that they kept from each other. And it's easy enough to find it uh, on the Internet. But I want to close out our study today with a look at the last verse. We're told that Jacob builds an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. And I've probably overstated it at this point, just like I've talked about theophanies quite a lot. I've talked about these two letters, E-L, the word L, but I'm going to bring it up here again. When we see the word L within other words, or if it's standing alone as we see it here in verse 20, it tells us something about God. And this particular phrase means God is the God of Israel. And if you wanted to break it down even further, it says, God is the God of the one who is governed by God, because Israel means to be governed by God. So Jacob here is recognizing not only his own new name, but also the place of God as the ruler of all things. Think of it, dear Christian. To the extent that we are indeed ruled by God is the extent that we truly trust our God. To the extent that we attempt to take things into our own hands is the extent that we are refusing to submit to his rulership. And I am talking to Christians here. We say that we trust him but our actions say differently. We say that we trust him with our health, but then something comes along called COVID-19. I would remind you that we are in November of 2021, approaching 2022. And our government says, well, there's a disease it's highly contagious. We're going to ask all you church people to stop meeting in your churches because that's not essential. And if you get a group of people together, and especially if you take it, partake in um, what you guys call the Lord's table or communion, or if you partake in the waters of baptism, you're surely going to spread this COVID-19 all around. And what did we do here in the West? We caved as a whole, the church in the West. There are a few places that made a stand, but on the whole, most churches said, well, we'll just go ahead and submit to the government. We will submit to Caesar. God understands these things, right? And he told us to submit to authority, right? So, We just won't, uh, have service for a month, which turns into two months or maybe more. Now I'm not saying that we are no longer Christians. I'm not saying that there are not folks in those groups, in those fellowships that were not Christians who followed this, but I am saying with our mouth, with our lips, we say We trust you, God, to take care of us. But with our actions, we say, just in case, we're not going to have church, just in case, we're not going to partake of communion together. And the whole idea of the Lord's table is what? That I am partaking of a meal with you, my brother, with you, my sister, in community. Hence, the word communion. What kind of community? A community of Christ. So think about it, friends. To the extent that we attempt to take things into our own hands is the extent that we are refusing to submit to his rulership. We trust him for our eternal salvation Yet we don't think that he's going to protect us from a COVID virus. And let's just say, friends, that you were to get COVID and you were to perish. It's only a physical death. My, To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Where is your faith? Where is your trust? Do you trust him even in death? So with that, friends, this episode comes to a close. And as we look at the life of Jacob, we should be encouraged to trust God. Remember that he has shown you great favor, dear Christian. And even when you fail, he, like a patient father, is holding all circumstances well in control. So until next episode, may God bless you as you trust in him. Thank you again for listening to The Forge Podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's Word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ and the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged Encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.